You're listening to the Running with the Herd podcast, powered up by Herd Nation, a part of the Rivals Network. This Running with the Herd podcast is sponsored by Mike Gwynn Insurance Agency. For the latest interviews, commentary, and analysis on Marshall University athletics, here is, without further ado, the Running with the Herd podcast. Aaron Coleman here in the Running with the Herd podcast, powered up by Herd Nation, a part of the Rivals Network, and sponsored by Mike Gwynn Insurance Agency. It's that time of year again, folks, and it is Myrtle Beach Bowl time. And who better to talk a little bit about the Marshall Thundering Herd versus the Yukon Huskies than Paul Swan of ESPN in Huntington. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Been a while. Glad to be back. Yeah, definitely. It has been a while, but thank you for joining us. Obviously, Marshall had a long and winding road to the Myrtle Beach Bowl. And let's start from there, Paul. What was it about this Marshall Thundering Herd team that really, you know, surprised you throughout the season and led to this point in the season as far as them getting that bowl berth? I'm not so much surprised because once Marshall found its footing, this is a Marshall team that we were expecting to, to win a lot of games. The only game I still scratch my head over is the Bowling Green game. And of course, yep. the big big game against Notre Dame and you're riding high and then you go into Bowling Green and historically you go into Bowling Green and, and that's just one of those places where herd football goes to die. So getting out of Bowling Green with the win is tough and I thought that Marshall would have a, a hard contest with Troy. Troy was the eventual champion so that's not a, a bad loss. I think Louisiana that's a game that was winnable. Mm-hmm. And if you take that away, maybe you could get Coastal Carolina. We could be talking about Marshall maybe representing the East right now because other than Coastal Carolina, Marshall was the team that beat every other team in the East side. You know, a problem against Louisiana, a problem against Troy. Louisiana's a good program. Troy's the eventual champion. And Coastal Carolina representing the East. Marshall gets one of those three. We're talking about Marshall in the championship game. Yeah, certainly. And one of the main factors of this year's team, of course, was the defense led by Coach Lance Guidry and on the field with the contributors such as Owen Porter, Kobe Cumberlander, Stephon, uh, Stephen Gilmore, the younger brother of Stephon Gilmore, Micah Abraham. Talk to us a little bit about that defensive unit and how they really set the tone for not only the rest of their teammates, but of the team as well. I think what the defense did was it allowed the offense to finally catch up. Mm-hmm. Defenses are sometimes ahead of offenses, you know, in spring ball. And I think what the defense allowed to happen was you built some confidence there. And so Marshall started getting a little bit more confident. The offensive line started to protect better. You put Cam Bancher in there. He's able to do a little bit more than Columbia. But I think the defense, week in and week out, that was the backbone of this team. That was the confidence of this team. So I think that helped because all the pressure wasn't on the offense. This offense finally learned, okay, we don't have to go down and score right away. You know, We don't have to play you know, catch-up. We don't have to you know, try to you know, pace with them. And I think allowed the offense to find its footing. I think that's the biggest thing of the defense. The defense was so good, still is. It 
allow the offense to find its footing. And you just have some beasts back there. And Kobe Cumberland is one of my favorite players. Uh-huh. Yeah, week in and week out, he is one of my favorite players out there. So, And he's a character. And when he's gone, I think we're going to miss him and, and what he brings because he's, he's a legacy player. And we're in the transfer portal days. And just to have a guy like that who still stayed with the program after the coaching change, transfer portal, all of this, and there's Kobe Cumberlander sitting right there. I think he's an unsung hero of this team. He doesn't get enough credit. I saw some of the selections for defensive, first team, second team. There's some good names on that list, but I think Kobe Cumberlander rated a little higher. I agree. I mean, you know, he's one of those guys that I think was probably one of the leaders of that team. And whenever he is gone, whether he comes back for the COVID year or he uh, departs, he will be missed. He will be missed in the locker room. He will be missed by everyone in the Huntington community and so on and so forth. But you spoke a little bit about Cam Fancher. I mean, he started this season as the number two quarterback behind Henry Columbia in game six of the regular season against James Madison. He is inserted as the starter. He wasn't supposed to start in 2022, Paul. He just wasn't, but he did. And so far this whole season, he has gone 5-1 and one as the starter. The last three games against App State, Georgia Southern, and Georgia State, in my mind, gave a glimpse of what we could possibly have in the future. Talk to us about Cam's maturation, his maturity, and his ability on the field. Dual threat. I think you're going to see more teams go to a, a mobile quarterback, more of a dual-threat quarterback. Mm-hmm. And with the problems the offensive line had early, you needed somebody that could get out of that pocket and escape and make something happen. I think that's what Fancher was able to do. And as he got more reps with the ones and he was out there more and built his confidence, I think eventually it was the smart thing to do to just bring him in and ride him as far as you could because the dual quarterback situation, I'm not a fan of. Me neither. Sure, I understand you got plays drawn up for one, you got plays drawn up for the other. But if you're the starter, if you're Henry Columbia, and then you get pulled because coaches think there's a little bit more they can do with the guy behind you, and that situation keeps going on. You know, who's, the, who's the leader? Who's the quarterback? Who's the starting quarterback? Who's the leader? So I think you have to make a decision, and everyone's just got to live with it. And you can't kill the confidence of, uh, of the other guy. So once it was decided that Cam Fancher was the guy to be the quarterback, I think that's where we saw him start to mature a little bit more, gain some more confidence, the consistency. I'm a big fan of consistency here. And so he's the guy... Uh, I mean, look what he did. 1,465 total passing yards. Mm-hmm. 56.3% completion rate. Five interceptions, sure. Eight touchdowns. There have been times where I've seen him escape, and there have been times where I've seen him do the smart thing, throw the ball away. Yep. He's got a competition next season. Let's, you know, He's the odds-on favorite now, especially with uh, Pete Zamora leaving, entering the transfer portal. 
he's probably going to be the odds-on favorite. Of course, you had Cole Pennington sitting back there. All her fans want to see him do well. But yeah, I think right now he's the guy who gives you not only as he progresses, he's going to get better on the passing side of things. I mean, there were weeks where we looked at the rushing yards and Kalen Laburn won. Cam Fancher right behind him, maybe a few shy of of his totals at number two. Yep. So he gives you a lot of things that you got a game plan for. Okay, is he going to beat you? Yeah, if you take his passing ability away, you got to still account for him on the ground. And now with him, Laburn, and Ali back there, who do you focus on? Who do you focus on? I mean, if you're going to try, yeah, because Marshall's a run-oriented team, who are you going to stop? Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely tough. I mean, Jim Moore Jr. and the Yukon Huskies are going to have a battle on their hands trying to contend with the three-headed monster of Fancher, Ali, and Laburn. But speaking of Yukon, obviously they come in with a record of 6-6. Six and six. Jim Moore Jr., who I just mentioned, he should be in the conversation for National Coach of the Year, Paul. I mean, the job that he's done with that program in just a short amount of time has been nothing short of spectacular. UConn was left for dead a couple of years ago. They were probably the worst Division I program in America. He has really turned that thing around. Looking to the uh, other side here, what do you see with the Huskies? I see a program that hasn't been to a bowl game since 2015. Ironically enough, it was December 26th against Marshall. And so they're excited. They're in a bowl. This is their seventh overall appearance in a bowl. So this program does not have a, a long history of being in a bowl. They have a solid running back, Victor Rosa. He had 561 yards rushing, 888 all-purpose yards. I like how he plays. But to your point, UConn, Six and six is an FBS independent. That's hard. Unless you're Notre Dame, you're not going to find that kind of success on a yearly basis because you don't have anything to to ground you to support you. I mean, you're out there. You're you're putting your schedule together based on who's going to play you. So to go six and six, I think that you're you're on. You've got something there as far as okay. How do they do that? Well. They've had to have some luck. Mm-hmm. They also have had to honestly have players who have bought in to this. I mean, you got to have uh, you got to have a good group of players here, and to to actively go to UConn and FBS independent to play football, it has to be something there. There's got to be something there, and you're right. I mean, they haven't had much success, so they could have their most wins if they beat Marshall. That will be their most win since 2010. They went 8-5 and five that year. They lost a Fiesta Bowl to Oklahoma. So here we go. From the Fiesta Bowl in 2010 to the Myrtle Beach Bowl. <laughs> I mean, the Myrtle Beach Bowl is a fine bowl, but it's not the Fiesta. Right. Yeah, it certainly isn't. And, you know, I think that these two teams mirror each other in the fact of they're kind of old school, grinded out, pounded out kind of teams, you know, that have strong defenses, solid running games, and, you know, quarterbacks that can effectively manage the game. What are some of your keys in this matchup, Paul, to a Marshall win over UConn in the Myrtle Beach Bowl? 
think Marshall's got to establish the ground game early. We know that Marshall has gotten better at passing, but I think Marshall is going to have to establish the ground game earlier. And it's going to be hard to prepare for Marshall because now you have Cam Fancher back there who can run it. He's gotten better at finding wide receiver who's you know been able to avoid the rush. You have Kalen Laburn who's able to go out there and and get your yardage, and then you have Rasheen Ali who covers up all all sins, all mistakes, <laughs> and so it's gonna be it's gonna be a running game. I, I don't think it's gonna be a I don't think it's gonna be a blowout by any stretch of the imagination. But at the same time, I don't think it's going to be uh, one of those games where Marshall can't put points up. It just might, yeah, you, know, you might have to go down, you know, nine, ten, eleven plays, or it might be one. You know, that's the kind of running game you have right now. Uh, and UConn historically, I mean, they're okay. They're they're three and three all time in bowl games. They're they're not exactly known as. Um, yeah, they're not a postseason team here. This is still all new to them. So I think Marshall's got the advantage in so many aspects, including been there, know what to do, know how to go about its business, has depth, running game's going to be really good, supplemented by Cam Fancher's getting better and better at the position. I hope Marshall just turns it out on them. You know, you have maybe Fancher with 100, Labor with 100, yeah, I'll leave with 102, 300 yards rushing minimum. That's what I want to see. Yeah, and if you have, I, I was actually uh, on the phone with my dad about an hour or so ago, and I told him that if Ali and Laburn have about 100 yards rushing apiece, they will win the football game. You you throw in Cam Fancher with about 50 to 85 yards rushing, I would say that's a pretty good recipe for success. I still think this UConn team's going to put up a good fight, though. Uh, I, I think Marshall will win, but you you have one win last year, and then you're in a bowl game the following year. Uh, this is going to be a gritty team. Yep. And they've had some successes. They've had some successes this season. I think Marshall's successes are better than their successes. I think Marshall's low points are lower than their low points. But November, I think this is a this team in November would have been able to get past the adversity of earlier in the season. Yep. That makes sense to you. I think the team we see now is better than the team we saw against Bowling Green and probably better than the team we saw against Notre Dame. Now, I think Notre Dame's gotten better too, but I think this team now doesn't have the problems that it did against Troy, maybe even Coastal, and definitely Bowling Green. So – and, and you have Ollie back, so that really covers up a lot of problems. Yeah, it certainly does. Paul, thanks very much for joining us here today. We certainly appreciate your time, and we'll talk to you again soon. Looking forward to it. Aaron Coleman here in the Running with the Herd podcast, powered up by Herd Nation, a part of the Rivals Network, and sponsored by Mike Gwynn Insurance Agency. It's Myrtle Beach Bowl time again, and we're going to be talking about the Yukon side of things with their staff writer from the Rivals Network, Graham Chamberlain. Graham, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, certainly appreciate it. First of all, Graham, let's jump right into it. What has the level of excitement been since Jim Mora took over 
for this uh, UConn football team that's really been in a tough spot for a long time now. Yeah, I mean, it's been a very difficult decade. You know, there was one kind of blip back in 2015 where former coach Bob Diaco was able to get uh, UConn bowl eligible again, losing to Marshall, oddly enough, mm-hmm. St. Petersburg Bowl. Um, but haven't come close to that level of success until this year. Um, Jim Moore coming in definitely excited the fan base. It was, a, would say, a surprising hire. It kind of came out of left field for a lot of people. But, you know, he has the credentials of getting guys to the NFL, being an NFL coach, um, having success at UCLA, even though it didn't end well for him there. But certainly, you know, being 46 and 30 at UCLA is something that UConn fans would absolutely take in a heartbeat, mm-hmm. uh, given where we have been. So he's definitely excited the fan base for sure. Yeah, very good resume, credentials all over the place, and uh, someone to definitely instill his culture. What three things specifically in your mind changed the culture at UConn football for 2022? Uh, The first one, I think, in just talking with some of the players this year, is just like they... The vibe has changed up there. You know, you can tell that Jim Mora and his staff really love these players and they feel that love. And, you know, they want to go out there and compete for him. Um, And I think that's the number one biggest change. Uh, Second thing, um, Coach Mora is not afraid to use the transfer portal. Um, Last head coach, Randy Etzel, was pretty adamant that he doesn't want to go that route. He did not want to go to the transfer portal, um, which made UConn having to put a lot of true freshmen out in the field, a lot of guys that were not ready yet, mm-hmm. and then they would end up transferring. So there's always a lot of turnover. Um, so he was able to minimize some of that turnover, get guys in who were ready to go right away, and who were also, you know, even though they were first year players, a lot of the guys came in and are immediate veterans. Um, third thing that I would say has changed this year. Um, I think it's also a coaching staff that is what they want to do is play to the team's strengths. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure we'll get into it a little more later, but UConn had a lot of injuries this season, um, especially on offense to skill players. And they really, you know, they just said, we got to do what we have to do. Changed up schemes, changed up personnel, um, Whereas I think in the past, you know, there was kind of a, you know, this is our game plan and we're going to stick to it. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, kind of going off the script here a little bit, what are your thoughts on the transfer portal itself? I'm going to give you mine here real quick. I think, personally, it's a double-edged sword. One, I think it hurts high school recruiting a lot because, you know, there's a lot of kids out there all across America that can play Division One football, but when you have a transfer portal guy who's already been in college, who understands what it takes to be a Division One college athlete, you'll take the, the ready-made guy over the project. Secondly, I think that the transfer portal can be very useful and very fruitful for a team that knows how to use it. Case in point, earlier this year, Marshall used a pair of transfers to beat Notre Dame. Yeah, that's right. Notre Dame, the number eight team in the country, one of the teams that everyone knows and 
knows about. Our quarterback at the time was a transfer from Texas Tech and Utah State. And our running back, our primary running back in that game was a transfer from Florida State. So the transfer portal could be used in a good way for teams that know how to use it. Just want to get your thoughts real quick. Yeah, I mean, I certainly agree uh, that it hurts the high school players. I think you're seeing that play out a lot. You're seeing guys, you know, either go the JUCO route or play Division Two FCS that are, are probably FBS talents. Um, I think it's also kind of indicative of how college football has gone in the sense that teams are under pressure to win now. Mm-hmm. You know, the, these reclamation projects, these development projects, now, that may take a few years or not or really not happening anymore. You're seeing coaches get fired after two, three years. Um, so they got to win now. Um, for a team like UConn, I think it's it, it's super helpful. Um, they've been burned in the past by the transfer portal. I mean, they've had nearly entire recruiting classes transfer out some years. I want to say 2019-2020, then they had 25 guys transfer wow. out wow. each year. You know, Unbelievable. Using the portal to replace them, so you can see how that co- would cause a problem. Um, in terms of the positives, you know, a team like UConn, I'm going to come back to UConn, yeah, um, sure. but you know, they have they're they have been consistently one of the youngest teams in the nation. You know, playing pretty much all freshmen and sophomores. So to be able to get some guys and the guys that they brought in have been, you know, fifth. 60 or guys now with the COVID year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's, it's just been very helpful to just have that kind of senior presence in the locker room and to have guys that, you know, have been in the gym, have done the grind of college football. They understand what it takes and, you know, they can teach the younger guys that. So it's worked out thus far. Gotcha. All right. What are the strengths of this year's UConn team? And how do you think Coach Moore is going to use them against Marshall in the upcoming Myrtle Beach Bowl? Yeah. So the strength of this team, I would start off with, is their running game. You know, they're averaging about 195 rushing yards a game. Um, they've had, and it's really been a running back by committee for this year, although that wasn't the plan. Um, mm-hmm. Starting running back Nate Carter, who you know ran for 190 yards opening game against Utah State, and ends up getting injured against Michigan. Brian Bruton, second string, he was playing well, ends up breaking his elbow. Um, that led to third string Devontae Houston, who was in and out of games this year with various issues, first with a shoulder, then it was ankle injury, which brings us down to our fourth and fifth string running backs, uh, true freshman Victor Rosa and graduate senior, however we want to call it, grad year, uh, running back slash fullback Robert Burns. Um, you know, all these guys have had a few hundred yards per game this year because they've all been playing at various times. Um, but UConn will definitely go with their running game. They're a run-first team. Mm-hmm. Um, they've had many injuries to the wide receiver core this year, also starting quarterback. Uh, Penn State transfer, Taquan Roberson, he was hurt second drive of the first game. Um, but UConn will be getting back their top two receivers for this game. So I'm interested to see what they were able to come up with in these few weeks of practice time, getting those guys back in. They're certainly not going to be playing every rep. You know, they kind of got to get their win back. Um, Second strength of the team is the defense. You know, in the games that they've won, they've been able to win the turnover battle 
um, getting interceptions, recovering fumbles, you know, linebacker Jackson Mitchell's first in the nation in fumble recoveries. So they're, they play a lot of cover two. They do a lot of bend. It's kind of a bend, not break defense. They're going to give you a lot of yards in the middle of the field. Um, but when they've been winning games, they're able to keep teams out of the end zone. Yeah, definitely a, a solid point there. Was there a specific game this year that gave you an indication that this team would do what no other UConn team has done since 2015 when they met Marshall in St. Petersburg? Was there a specific moment or game that kind of led you to believe, Graham, like, hey, you know what? Jim Moore's got a pretty good thing going over here, and he could get these guys into a bowl game. Mm, I think my... I first started thinking bowl game probably had to be October 1st. They beat Fresno State. Okay. Um, granted, Fresno State was without Jacob Hayner. They're you know, one of the top quarterbacks in the country in terms mm-hmm. of yards and yep. just efficiency. He was out, but you know, the it was coming out after three straight games. They got outscored, I think, 148-24. They played Syracuse, Michigan, NC State back-to-back-to-back. Um and, you know, there was kind of a sense like, all right, well, you know, this is what UConn does year in and year out. They come back to this game against Fresno. It's it's gloomy. It's 50 degrees. You know, it's not a greatly attended game in East Hartford, Connecticut. Um, and the defense just kept get, getting them off the field. And, you know, UConn did just enough to win the game. And I said, you know, if they can do this, I mean, Fresno State's on a bad team. I think they ended up 8-4. and four. They're in a bowl game. Yep. Um, so, I mean, even without their starting quarterback, it's still a good team. And UConn was able to hold down to, I think, 30 rushing yards. So that's kind of where the seed was planted. Where it really started to bloom was, oddly enough, after a loss, um, they had went on the road to take on Ball State. They had a 21-10 to lead at halftime, which they blew, ended up losing 25-21. Mm. And just being on, like, those press conferences, the press calls after the game, like, you could tell, like, those guys knew, like, we messed up, we had this game, and we blew it, and we're not going to let that happen again. And they certainly didn't. I mean, after that, they reeled off wins against Boston College. They, had, we, they have never beaten ever, so that was the first time they ever beat Boston College, a regional rival, mm-hmm. um, you know, beating another regional rival at UMass, and then beating Liberty, who was ranked 19th at the time, to get bowl eligible. So I, I think the real turning point was that Ball State game. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I watched uh, quite a bit of that game against Liberty, not knowing that UConn and Marshall were going to play in a bowl game, and one of the things that stood out to me was the fact of, you know, like you said, they were a run-first team, but, you know, they were able to sustain drives and keep the ball away from Liberty, who who has scored lots of points this year. And they found their recipe for success. Now, out, from an outsider's perspective, what do you see from Marshall? Very much like UConn, a run-oriented team, leans on their defense. What do you see from the Thundering Herd? Yeah, I see exactly what you just said, and to be quite frank, I don't think that's a great matchup for UConn. Um, one of the struggles this team has had this year is converting once they get into their red zone, right? Getting touchdowns. Um, 
and they struggled with run-first run teams. You know, Ball State, run-first team, Carson Steele, running back, 179 rushing yards. You know, the final game of the season, they went on the road, take on Army, obviously running the triple option. Mm-hmm. And, you know, UConn got down to the goal line a couple times, didn't get six, and it was going to end up being a problem. Army just wore them down as the game went on. So I, I can see this game trending in a similar direction unless UConn can – you know, so stop the rushing attack, which I understand Marshall's at about, what, 205 rushing yards a game? Yeah. Something like that. So it's going to be a tall task. Yeah, it certainly is. And I see in this game, Graham, both of these quarterbacks, um, Cam Fancher for Marshall and Zion Turner for UConn, both very, very similar quarterbacks in the fact that they could extend plays with their feet, they can – you know, maneuver around in the pocket, and they find a way to win games. What do you see with the quarterback matchup between these two guys? Yeah, I think it's, you know, both teams are obviously run first, um, but these are quarterbacks that I think are not called on to do everything, but they can do just enough to win a game. Mm -hmm. Um, Like you said, extending the plays with their legs, you know, run, run, run. Now all of a sudden I'm going to look downfield see if I got an open receiver. You know, so I, I, I feel like we're kind of looking at carbon copies a little bit of the offenses. Um, and both teams, that are, like you said, are going to lead on the defense. Yep. And you think about both of these quarterbacks, Graham, both of these guys are freshmen. You know, one a redshirt yep. freshman, the other a true freshman, if I'm not mistaken. And yep. they're only going to get better as time goes on, I think. Well, that's the hope, right? That's the hope, yeah. <laughs> really I mean, hoping that these guys develop, yeah. Um, it's hard, Again, it's been hard to judge Zion Turner for UConn because he hasn't had his usual uh, receiving core around, but he is a player that he went to St. Thomas Aquinas in Fort Lauderdale, one of the top uh, high school programs in the nation. Yep. Went 37-2 and two there, won a few national championships in high school, so the guy's a gamer, he's a winner, um, and... He's fine not being in the spotlight, and I think that's worked out thus far. Right, yeah, and and that's something that for a younger guy, you know, sometimes that's hard to take, especially at that position, you know. Usually when you look at a football team, you're thinking, okay, the quarterback is front and center. But, you know, when you have a team with the running game that UConn has, and in our case what Marshall has, both of these guys, I know you talked about Turner specifically, but both Fancher and Turner are comfortable just being in the background and just managing the chess pieces as they go along. All right, last question for you here, Graham. Keys to the game for each team. Give me two apiece. All right. Uh, I would say also, I guess I will start with Marshall. Um, Marshall's going to want to hang on to the ball. They're going to want to have those long, sustained drives, um, keeping the ball on the ground, keeping the ball out of UConn's hands. Um, like I said before, UConn has struggled with getting the ball into the end zone. So the fewer possessions they have to do that, the better off Marshall will be. Um, also say that Marshall's going to want to try to keep the turnover game in check. Mm-hmm. Uh, UConn gets a lot of interceptions, a lot of fumble recovery. So if they can keep those to a minimum, I think that they'll be fine. Um, similar, similarly to UConn, um, I think almost the same. I mean, they want to win the turnover battle. In this case, they want to get as many possessions as possible without giving up points. Um, 
And I think the key for UConn will also be, even though the running game is their bread and butter, if they can get some more passing plays in there with the return of receivers Keelan Marion and Cam Ross, who two of their top receivers will be back for this game coming off an injury, um, to kind of shake things up a little bit, um, I can see them being able to put some more points on the board. All right, great stuff, Graham. We certainly appreciate it. You could check out Graham over on the UConn Rival site. They do great stuff, not only for UConn football, but also uh, men's basketball, women's basketball, you name it. So, Graham, thanks a lot for joining us. We certainly appreciate it, and we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Running with the Herd podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at RWithTheHerd and also at Herd Nation. Also like us on Facebook at Running with the Herd and at Marshall Thundering Herd at Herd Nation. Thanks again, and go Herd!